Welcome to the Magic Pisces Podcast. Before the ayahuasca, before the clear blue skies, and before the great awakening. Before the great awakening. <clears throat> Are you still waiting to have your great awakening? If you've had your great awakening, is there a next level to take it to? There is for me. I'm waiting for my next great awakening. And it's 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 creative in nature. I posted on Facebook yesterday that I finished, finally finished my rough, the rough draft of the book I've been working on for like nine years, maybe even 10 years, uh, maybe longer for a long time. It was like, I sent the, the, the copy I sent to her had approximately 125,000 words. I probably have an additional 50,000. So it's probably 175,000 words total. The average memoir is about 60,000, I think. I think The Things They Carried, my favorite book of all time by Tim O'Brien, is 60,000 words. So there's going to be a lot of trimming down, a lot of fat to trim. It basically covers my entire existence from my third birthday on. It's all of it. My entire life is in this memoir. There's a lot of heroin porn, um, addiction porn, like just what it's like to be strung out as fuck you know, wandering the west side of Chicago in search of a hit. And then there's also like real porn, you know, like my, my years, my years in the bars in Fort Collins. Um, it's, it's got a little bit of, and then there's like some spiritual porn too, you know, some like, we are all one, you know, course in miracles style, um, ultimate forgiveness and, uh, the ecstasy I experience on the faces of waves, and all that. It's all of it. I don't want to say it's pornographic. It's not. The heroin stuff is pornographic. It's like addiction porn. Um, so, yeah. We'll see. She's going to send it back to me. She's just organizing it. And then from that organization, then I will have a structure inside which to work. Because when you write something that long, you just have no idea. Like, I've never written a book before, so I have no idea what matters. I have no idea what doesn't matter. I have no idea how to connect the ideas. I have no idea about character development development i mean there are characters who i've known since first grade in the book you know third grade i guess so i'm not sure what to do with it but this woman i paid her a pretty sizable chunk of money to help me sort it all out so fingers crossed what is the thing that you are avoiding creating i tell you what i finished that thing and i was just like fuck yeah i sent the email off yesterday and i was just like fuck yeah that's badass. Good job. And I surfed for four hours yesterday. I gave myself a reward for, um, I gave myself a reward of surfing for four hours uh, for finishing a 150,000 page anomaly of a memoir. It's gnarly. There's this whole, I'm working on this part about the Grateful Dead where like, I'm just talking about how they're just the ultimate brainwashers. They're just, LSD ridden or LSD infused brainwashing machines is all the Grateful Dead were really they're just master manipulators master brainwashers I don't think that was their intention their intention is just to play this music and make money travel around the world but man did they fuck my young adolescent mind up it was uh, June something 1992 at Soldier Field in Chicago, 
And boy, did my life change forever that day. There were some people who were there. I won't name any of their names, but wow, what a day. The day itself was just like, I don't know. I like turned into this like teenage gypsy or something. The parking lot was just, I mean, it was just crazy. It's just, I never experienced anything like it in my entire life. I mean, there's nothing like that to be experienced. There's nothing like that anywhere ever. It was like basically like going to Woodstock without the rain and the mud, it, and it, but in the 90s. It was just the, it was the craziest, craziest shit ever. And I remember just wandering around this parking lot and just hearing the sounds of like, you know, bells that people had on like their wrists and like jewelry everywhere and like sage wafting through the air and people selling acid everywhere, everywhere, literally every 15 seconds, someone is trying to sell you LSD. And we took some red lip, red, I think, I think the acid had red lips on it just from some guy, just from some, like, we were like 16 and the guy that sold it to us was probably like 19 or something or 17 or 18. And we thought he was old and there's just, and, and I, I talked about this actually in my first podcast addiction redemption. You just ask the kid who's selling you the very powerful transformational life and mood altering substance, reality altering agent more like if it's good, he just goes, yeah, it's good. Okay, cool. Well, he said it's good. That means it must be good. He said it's really good. That means it must be really good. So you give this this kid like $3 and I mean that's 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 about the most bang for your buck you could ever get. $3 for a hit of acid with red lips on it. That's about the best money you could ever spend. You know, if you're talking about the experience you get in exchange for the money that you paid for it, good lord. So yeah, that was just, that's a day, that day changed my life forever. And that just the parking lot changed my life, wandering around the parking lot of Soldier Field and and just experiencing the Grateful Dead phenomenon. It's just like, oh, I get what this thing is. Oh, and I'm still a, you know, e- emotionally fragile, somewhat, you know, unstable uh, developing human being who really doesn't know who the fuck he is and what his place in the world is. And he isn't really getting the most effective guidance at home. And there are now all of these other people who haven't been effectively guiding, offering very twisted psychedelic guidance of their own, following this band around you know, who don't know what the fuck that they're doing, except they do know exactly what they're doing. The Grateful Dead are one of the most, in my opinion, the single greatest band in the history of the universe, period. Um, anytime I hear a critique of them by like a punk rock dude, the, per- the person doesn't know what the fuck they're talking. They never know what they're talking about. All you got to do is look to just under, listen to the music from the early 70s, 1971, 72, 73, and then understand the wall of sound that was used, I believe, in 74. It was either 72 or 74. Um, just understand the what went into the production of the music. There's this great book called Living with the Dead. I forget the name of the author. He was like their head roadie for years and years and years. 
and he talks about like in the in the early 70s when they're still playing like you know very small venues ballrooms and bars sometimes i think still with just these i don't know about bars but you know relatively small venues and uh he said that they would get to the to the end of some of their songs and the audience wouldn't even there would be no audience response cuz it was they were just so completely and totally blown away by what they had just experienced that's just like one song you know like hearing the i could only imagine what it would be like to hear the dead play the other one in like 1972 through or 74 whichever year it was through the wall of sound i believe that the wall of sound uh, phil lesh the bass player who's one of the most amazing bass players ever in the history of music um he uh i believe he had a stack of speakers for each string on his five string bass and each stack of speakers was placed strategically in a different part of the auditorium so when he went boom 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 the the bass would bounce around and completely surround the listener if you want to call it a listener it's more like an observer or a person who's enmeshed in this experience i could only begin to imagine what those experiences or what those shows could have been like i mean the the show i saw in 1992 at soldier field if you, if you go back and listen to it i've listened to it since it was okay it's all right you know, and it was still completely blew my mind to pieces and completely changed my life forever and warped my brain. I make the argument on a regular basis that the Grateful Dead are one of the most punk rock bands of all time. They're complete and total rebel outlaws responsible for more prison sentences, jail and prison time, not to mention like beatings and shit that went on, you know, amidst the the underbelly of the scene. Um, and the, the, the criminal syndicate that essentially followed them around. In fact, that the Hells Angels uh, were on tour with them for several years, I believe. Um, you know, there's, there's just more punk rockness than all other punk rock bands combined. Um, just, just surrounding the Grateful Dead phenomenon. It's fascinating. Um, not overtly violent by any stretch. There's nothing overtly violent. I mean, I've never had, I never witnessed. I saw one instance of, I saw this, this kid one time who owed this other kid money get, get jumped after a dead show, like in this like dark part of dark secluded park of the part of the parking lot. Um, that was weird because that gave me a glimpse into like the dark side of things, but you know, you start selling drugs and borrowing money and not paying it back, and that's what's going to happen to you. Um, anyway, I don't know where I got off on that Grateful Dead tangent. Check out the early 70s. Just listen to like a, be- a version of Beat It On Down the Line from like 1972. The entire 1972 catalog is actually available on iTunes, I believe, for free. You can just download it off iTunes. Um, so there's my rant on the Grateful Dead. And, oh, yeah, this all stemmed from from the book. So I'm writing about, you know, what happens inside of the adolescent. You know, drugs are gr- drugs are crazy because they're so powerful and they're extraordinarily effective. Drugs work. Good drugs really do work. They do. You know, her- heroin is not even remotely overrated. It is just not overrated at all. It will fuck you up every bit as bad as people say it will. Every bit is bad. Same with crack. Um, pot, you know, pot. The thing about pot, 
pot is legitimately the gateway drug. It was totally the gateway drug for me. Pot was the doorway into everything else. It wasn't alcohol. It was pot. I start, I, you know, I bottomed out as an alcoholic, but at first I wasn't really into drinking. I was just this pothead kid. And, you know, it just, it just, when you're this, when you're an introverted, sad, kind of lonely kid slash being, but you don't realize that you're sad and introverted and lonely. You don't realize that you're alienated from your peers. You don't realize that you don't really fit in. You don't realize all this stuff. And then you get drugs. Drugs just fill in all the little, they just fill in the little gaps. They just fill in the gaps in your existence. And now you've got this drug and the drug keeps you company. Acid will keep you uh, there's this one part in the book I'm writing where me and this kid dropped acid and went to this park and like sat on this like wooden kind of jungle gym type of thing. It wasn't really like a jungle gym. It was like a wooden fort. And we're like sitting on this fort and then it starts raining and we don't even realize it, it was raining. And then like all of a sudden it went from afternoon to dark and then we're just sitting there in the freezing cold rain, tripping on acid, like soaking wet and 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 shivering. And we didn't even realize that it had happened. And then all of a sudden, like, we're like, we got to go. And then we're like, where do we go? We don't know. So we like wandered into Denny's on Roosevelt Road in Glen Ellen and fucking like we're staring in the mirror at ourselves at Denny's and somebody walks in and we're just like, you know, all fucked up or some fries can't even eat them, you know, and there's no place to go just wandering around lost in the rain on acid in Glen Ellen, Illinois. Like what the fuck was that? Shit's crazy. That shit is crazy. And kids, kids, we were, we were fucking kids. We were not even I'm barely an adult now. We were so far from adulthood taking these, you know, these powerful, transformational life, mood, reality, as I've said before, altering substances and like wandering around in the rain in our hometown. You know, like this $5, you know, half of a square centimeter piece of paper just has within it the power to completely and totally just take reality from one thing and turn it into another thing. And to this day, I don't even know which one of the realities is real. I don't know. That's the thing about when you get into psychedelics, particularly acid, you just start to question reality completely. I'm just like, I, it's just all the matrix. It's just all the matrix. So stay tuned for the book. It's going to be good. It's got just, a, like I said, a little bit of everything. I was, uh, I was surfing yesterday and, there's this guy out in the water, and he's got a business, and uh, his business is losing lots of money. And he was, because it's like a retail, it's a pizza, it's a pizza, um, a, a pizza shop. What's it called? A pizza place. He owns a pizza place, and he's lost, you know, 30, 40% of his revenue, doesn't know how to get it back because they're not allowed, they weren't allowed to be open, right? And you can't go there and eat, you know, so like the dining in part of it's totally shot and this guy's basically fucked, you know, and just this hardworking guy, you know, and, and, uh, and then there's this other guy that I surf out there with this old guy named Jerry, super cool dude. He's a Vietnam vet. He did, he did 500 days in Vietnam as a Marine. And he told me that he only spent two days out of the bush. So this dude was this this motherfucker was in the jungle, in in the 
in just the thick of the thick of the thick of it as a Marine in the jungle for 500 days. He spent two days out of the bush just as a kid. You know, he's like 19, 18, 19, maybe 20 years old. It just blowing people away. He's talking about yesterday. He was talking about being in a, in the door gun, in the, in the helicopter um, with a 50 caliber door gunner guy a, a door gunner next to him with a 50 caliber machine gun shooting so many bullets that the bullets would the bullet shells would be like up up to the knees up to their knees inside of the helicopter this is just this fucking dude I surf with you know like I just kind of one day we I overheard him talking about Vietnam and I'm like Vietnam you were in Vietnam because I'm a Vietnam war buff fascinated by Vietnam and um you know, Tim O'Brien, The Things They Carried is my favorite book of all time. And so here's firsthand account from this Vietnam guy. And he's just like, you have, you have, and he's really, he's not like a sensitive guy. You know, he's not really an emotional guy. He's a nice guy. He's not an emotional guy though. And he just talks very matter of factly about, you know, shooting people and fucking, you know, it's just, it's just really crazy. So him and I kind of bonded over the fact that I have so much respect for that, but he's, you know, he's a guy, he's, like I said, he's a nice guy and he's a, he's a, he's a good, he's a good person. He's a devout, I mean, he's a gnarly surfer. He doesn't even stand up when he surfs. His body's all fucked up now. He doesn't walk very well, so he can't stand up. So he'll drop into like 10 foot waves and not even stand up and just basically boogie board these waves on a big old nine, nine and a half foot longboard. The dude is gnarly. Um, he'll be out there at this spot Swami's on the biggest days, but he's just like, don't you fucking t- I served in Vietnam. Don't you fucking tell me where I can eat and can't eat. You know, he's like that, but he's, he doesn't say it in this like Trump kind of a way. He just says it in this, in, it's almost like he's speaking from like a spirit, like he's speaking almost from a spiritual place. Like, don't, don't take my freedom away there's nothing that we're doing to jeopardize anyone or anything by being out here in the water don't you take this away from me i fought for this and in his heart he fought for it you know what i mean and he he also i was interesting because he said the other day that we had no business being over there he's like it was totally unwinnable all of us knew it was unwinnable we were all just looking out for our brothers and trying to stay alive you know that was he's like we shouldn't have been there at all but at the same time he at the time he thought that he was doing the right thing you know, this is this is the fascinating thing about soldiers. Like, do you can you think of anything in your life that you'd be willing to like go and kill and die for right now? Like, do you have that type of courage within you? That's why it's fascinating to ponder World War Two. Like World War Two, you know, the Japanese bomb Pearl Harbor and everybody in the US, everybody just like went all the boys went to war. Shit tons of them fucking died, and then all the women went to work. All the girls went to work creating the bombs and the bullets and the guns and the whatever, right, to send to the boys who were over there fighting the fucking war to save the whole entire world from uh, evil fascism. From Hitler himself, the most evil person in the history of the world, our, my grandfather's generation went over and fought him and all of the people who supported him and saved the Jews from the genocide. And it wasn't just the U.S., mind you. It was a lot of other countries. The U.S. didn't get into it towards the end. But, um, yeah, gnarly, 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 gnarly. And the Tom Brokaw has this book called The Greatest Generation that just, it just kind of, it, it makes you... You know, we got a bunch of whiny fucking problems right now. I mean, really. It's like, it's, I mean, even COVID, 
when you I think I talked about this a couple episodes ago. Uh, COVID compared to um, that, you know, it's really just kind of like I can't go surfing. I can't go to my favorite restaurant. This is bullshit. You know, it's like compared to like, yeah, there's um this super evil guy. He's trying to take over the world. He's taking all of the Jews, putting them into boxcars and shipping them off to concentration camps and gassing them and then burying them in mass graves. You know, that's like a that's like a real world. That's like a real problem. You know, that's that's and and, and ask yourself, are, would you be willing to like just get a gun, like go to basic training for like 6 weeks, get a fucking M16 or whatever they were shooting back then and go over and be a part of that? Cuz you really didn't have a choice. That's kind of just like what was happening. I guess we're doing this, you know, cuz this this Vietnam guy he asked me, "Well, why didn't you go in the service?" And I'm like, "It, it really wasn't it really wasn't you know, a thing to do in the nineties. It just, I mean, I guess if you really wanted to, you could have go fought in the Gulf war, but it just, it wasn't like it was in Vietnam. And he's just like, yeah, I get it. You know? So it's, it's, it's really, um, I see, you know, the, those, those people, uh, the, the vet, the, the soldiers who have fought in the wars, I mean, in their heart, in, in, in the case of world war two, they were literally like fighting so that I could surf today or yesterday, or whenever, or tomorrow, you know, like, like, literally, it's like that, that, that is a type of freedom I, I, I would have to be willing to die for if it was really about that. Like, if there was some evil power moving through Europe and potentially heading towards the U.S. and they wanted to take my surfing away, or my skateboarding away, or my mornings in the sun away, I, I think I would have to, I have to be willing to die for that, have to be willing to die for that freedom. You know, and so it's interesting um, with all of this COVID stuff. Like, what, what in the, what in the fuck is actually going on? I have no idea because this guy is losing his pizza business. Like, I, as I said, he's just this nice, hardworking guy. Now, if I were to post this on Facebook right now, that I there's this hardworking guy who's losing his business, there would be all these, all these people would like pounce on me. That would be wrong for me to say that. Nobody gives it like, there's a certain segment of the population, very large, that is very pro, um, very, very pro lockdown, very pro quarantine, um, who doesn't, they don't give a flying fuck about this person. You know, there's a, there's a lot of people who just think that that's a capitalist who deserves to fucking die. You know, <laughs> it's, it's so, it's so funny. Like this guy like works hard. He works hard slinging dough and cheese, you know, so that he can have a decent life and support his family. And a lot of people just, they don't even fuck, they don't fucking care at all. They, 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 they just don't fucking carry. There are a lot of people you cannot bring that up to, uh, without being kind of attacked, which is really, really, you know, that's the, that's the lack of compassion. I mean, I feel bad for this guy. And a lot of people are just like, well, yeah, I guess that's what they got to do. You know, like people sitting around fucking milking unemployment, you know, just like, they don't care about that guy. I'm completely speaking in generalizations, by the way. I'm, I'm well aware. But uh, yeah, this whole this whole thing is crazy. Um, I I posted something yesterday about Facebook. My first semi political thing in a very long time in over a month. And you know, of course, there's that one person who's got that one comment that is just the thing that's totally antagonistic that just kind of like misses the point. And uh, this is like, I'm, I'm really, I mentioned this several episodes ago. I'm, uh, I'm really, I'm kind of disappointed at a lot of the punk rock people I know who are just going along with all this. It's like, 
<laughs> yes, sir, I will do what you tell me. Yes, sir, I will do what you tell me. There's there's no more fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. It's like, yes, sir. Yes, sir, I'll do everything that the New York Times tells me that I need to do. There's this article today in, where was it, on ABC that says, you need to assume you became infected at Thanksgiving, the White House task force. So the article basically says that if you celebrated Thanksgiving with someone, uh, that you need to assume you have COVID. Like, if that's not some of the most twisted, bizarre, weird, creepy mind control shit I've ever heard of, I don't know what is. You know, I went and I had... I had Thanksgiving dinner with a friend of mine, Kira, a wonderful human being from uh, Fort Collins. I know her from Fort Collins. And, you know, I think I don't know if we came within six feet of one another, but we did enjoy our time together. And now I am to assume I have COVID. I have to assume it. This is the article. Assume you have COVID if you had Thanksgiving dinner with somebody. Uh, That's some really creepy, weird, twisted fucking shit. I'm sorry. It just is. It just is. Um, again, I've said this before. I am not a COVID denier, not even close. I believe that COVID is a bioweapon. I believe that it is very dangerous. I believe that it kills people. It does. My sister works in healthcare. She works in, I believe, in a hospital. She does intake. And she told me firsthand there are an absolute fuck ton of cases. There's, you know, they're admitting like 100 people a day or they were at like 95% capacity. Um, I have two ER doctors as friends. Uh, both of them are like, no, it's totally real. You do not want to get it. It's very bad. It kills people. Somebody died last week uh, and healthcare workers die too. So I'm not like in denial about and like the dangerousness of COVID at all. I talked to a like Republican friend of mine a couple weeks ago and she's just like, it's not, you know, and I'm, she, she's just totally in denial about it. Um, that being said, I believe um, that was frustrating, you know, so you can't like, it, it's being put in a, it's like, it's, it's basically being put in a position where like, if, if I, it doesn't mean that I agree with the radical right. If I disagree with the radical left, that's the frustrating thing here because I don't disagree with the radical left. It doesn't mean I agree with the radical right. Um, because I have certain, uh, conservative views on just a couple of things you know really that doesn't mean that i'm some fucking you know homo transphobic whatever you know what i mean or uh that i want that i don't think a woman has a right to choose you know just because i don't agree with the the, some of the i the the thing about the far left i that frustrates me is it's their way of being there's just a, a a particular degree of arrogance um that they exhibit uh and it's really it's it's impossible to get through to now it's it's funny because i used to be like i used to be such a hardcore radical leftist way back in the and um i went to grad i went to grad school did i mention this in the last episode i may have i went to grad school and as a leftist and the the grad school cohort that that we that that i was that i was a part of there were like it was like half radical leftists or liberals or whatever and like half kind of like conservative Christians and it was totally like the liberals against the Christians. And I just think back to the Christians. Now, Christians do have a lot of they they have some there's some wacky stuff going on there, don't get me wrong. Um but again, it kind of goes back to the example of the soldier like they believe in their hearts, in their heart of heart of hearts, that, you know, the creator, the all, the, the, that, that God 
you know, has written the law, the his eternal laws in the Bible. And if you do everything that the Bible says, that your life will work out. And that actually, it actually does work out for them. That's the thing. That's the thing. It, 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 it actually does work out if you do what the Bible says. Um, I think it's what if you do what Jesus says. And so there's a difference between the New Testament and the Old Testament, right? But, you know, a lot of these Christians in this cohort I was a part of were total, um, they were all, they were conservative and, you know, like, and, and, and they, they didn't shove their, I didn't, I did not experience one instance of any one of them shoving beliefs down my throat telling me I needed to think something I didn't think, telling me to come to Jesus, none of that. I didn't experience one instance of that. And the the liberal, the leftists, we were all like hedonistic, alcoholic fucking assholes who were like antagonizing, antagonizing and passive, making passive-aggressive comments towards the Christians the, in, the entire time. The entire time, like I, we would go out to the bars and get drunk and just rip on the Christians and the Christians would um, like be at home, like praying on Friday nights or going to church or raising their families or whatever. And, you know, when that year when when that grad school year was over and it was time to become an actual teacher, all of the Christians got jobs. <laughs> they all had jobs. And like only maybe a third of the liberals had jobs. You know, and like I said, it was like totally fucking hedonistic. Like, you know what I mean? I'm like sleeping with one of the girls in the fucking cohort, you know, who may or may not have been in a relationship also, you know what I mean? And like, we're like doing drugs and like, I'm all fucked up. I'm like snorting Adderall before I go to class and I'm just all fucked up and be like, yeah, fucking Christians don't know what the fuck they're talking about. We know what the fuck is going on. And we're just the arrogance of the like leftist liberal mindset. I mean, it's just fucking disturbing as fuck. You know, it was just like, and I was told, I was just so one of them. And I'm still, I'm about as liberal as they come. I just believe that part of being liberal is really um, seeking, and, and part of being compassionate is really doing your best to understand what's going on inside of the mind of a person who feels the way that they do. It doesn't mean that you have to agree with them, but we are all like, we are all programmed we are all conditioned and programmed to feel the way that we do and the way a person arrives at the way that they feel and the way that they think and the way that they navigate life comes as the result of every other fucking thing that has ever happened in the entire universe for all of eternity and that's why we are all one we are ultimately all one so when you see a person who antagonizes you or rubs you the wrong way you know, that person could very well be a mirror of yourself that you, a mirror reflecting back to you that you need to take a, a look at yourself. Now, this doesn't excuse, you know, total psychos or rapists or sociopaths or murderers or, you know, anything like that. But, but still, uh, very often people who show up in our lives as adversaries can be our greatest gifts, our greatest teachers, um, our greatest, uh, we can gain some of the greatest wisdom that is, is, some of the greatest wisdom that it is possible to attain from from people who we do not agree with. You know, there's this great um, Matthew McConaughey interview with Russell Brand that Shane Ritter, shout out to Shane again, um, that Shane Ritter introduced me to or tagged me regarding um, on Facebook this morning. And 
and it's Matthew McConaughey just talking about the the lack of nuance or the 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 middle the middle road, and um, you just got all these people lined up on one side and all these people on, lined up on the other side, and neither is willing to um, neither is willing to understand the views of the other side, and it's the ones in the middle like myself who are currently like really uh, it, it's, it can be really challenging because there are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of things I do not agree with or the other side, but it's the growth for me happens when I like really lean beyond, um, my, my typical reactionary self or when I, when I, when I, when I move beyond my automatic sort of reactionary way of being, and seek to really understand and not from like this place of like pity, like, Oh, I want to understand the poor fucking Trump supporters and why, you know, they're such fucking morons. So I, so that I can like have pity and compassion. It's not like that kind of compassion. It's like, it's not like a, it's not to be confused with pity. It's like, Hmm. I wonder what happened in their experience of what it means to be a human being that led them to believe that what I do. And can I respect them for the mere fact that they are a human being? And can I rest in the assumption that perhaps everyone is doing the best that they can always because whatever they are doing is what's happening? Because the best that they can is 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 leading to them existing the way that they that they currently are. And there's not really. Uh, it's not really possible for them to exist as anything other than they am, other than they are, rather. And um, you know, it all. It, a lot of people just transformation begins with awareness. If you don't have the capacity to be aware, then you don't have the capacity to transform. If someone doesn't have the capacity to transform, um, then then why why hate them? Why hate them if they don't have the capacity to transform? And that's where like the really powerful, gnarly kind of spiritual work happens. That's Jesus cross nail Jesus Christ nailed to the cross saying, Father, forgive them what they do for what they do. He wasn't even mad at them. He just got it. They were just the Romans, the Roman soldiers that nailed him to the cross, they were just doing their job. Right? What do you mean they were just doing their job? That's the you know. But he Jesus understood that from like this really deep, deep, profound place. So if you can forgive them, you know, maybe you can forgive Trump supporting neighbor or, you know, I can forgive my fucking next door neighbors for being loud or, you know, for my, my, my next door neighbor who got actually taken away um, in an ambulance for freaking out on meth a couple weeks ago. I can totally forgive him. I was actually praying for him. Uh, just another poor sick soul, much like the one I used to be. Anyway, thanks for listening. Catch you next time on the Magic Pisces podcast. Bye.